Timmy right here, coming to you guys live from the road this week. I do not have my equipment with me. I did not expect to be out of town this long. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to phone this one in. Ha ha ha. Get it? Because I'm on the phone. But actually, um, we're going to put our best effort into it. Because I had a pretty cool idea, I thought, for this week's podcast. What I wanted to do was, I was going to go back through my IG and get some questions. Some questions that people have sent me over the last few months. And I responded to everybody individually. But I thought they were good questions, right? I picked my favorites and figured I would answer them on a podcast, right? Like a little Q&A, uh, email kind of thing. But it's not email, right? They're just, they're just my Instagram. Um, so... That's where I'm, I think that's the platform I'm most active on. I like Instagram the best. I have a Facebook page. I don't use as much as I probably should. Um, and I don't know. I feel like Facebook's good for like marketplace items. Like if you're selling like soaps or crafts or whatever. Um, yeah. And then YouTube, I plan on putting up some videos maybe next year. I don't know if this is going to be a year for YouTube. I mean, we're already getting close to September. Summer's almost over. It's like the middle of or beginning of August, I guess. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm liking IG. I'm liking, you know, the anchor platform for my podcast. Um, I think those are the things I want to focus on for the rest of the year. And then maybe we'll, we'll incorporate, we'll expand, do something else in 2022. But right now, I think we're just going to master these these uh, platforms first. So without further ado, right, I thought, all right, well, let's do like a, a Q&A type thing um, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. I wrote a few of these down. Let me go ahead and see this. Bear with me here if you hear sudden stops in the audio or me crashing my car because I'm driving and podcasting at the same time, which is not ideal, but we got to get it done. We got to stay committed, right? Okay, let's see. So, Sammy Rye, question number one. Uh, what did you... Oh, I, I wrote these down. Hold on. What did you start... Why did you start a podcast, right? Okay, so I started a podcast because obviously I can't write very well, right? <laughs> it's difficult to uh, to uh, read, actually, because I did write that properly. I don't know why I read that so bad. Why did I start a podcast? Good question. Um, I started a podcast very simply because I wanted to get the ball rolling to eventually start promoting my screenplays and some of the things I want to do in film. Um, I want to basically produce my own films and try to sell screenplays at some point. But the podcast was a good way to get into the the you know the habit of... Staying social on social media, reaching out to people, connecting with new people, networking. I, I thought there was a lot of ways you can utilize a podcast to expand, you know, not only bring attention to your brand, but also to expand your network. You meet new people, you do interviews, you go on their podcast. I think it's really fun. And when I started doing it, I thought I started doing it for that very quickly, like a week or two into it, after maybe the first two or three episodes. I actually fell in love with podcasting for a whole other bunch of reasons. There were all these things I didn't realize I would enjoy about it. I enjoyed talking to people, um, finding out about their lives, um, even interviewing people that you know I knew personally, people already within my network. It became a very uh, almost touching thing to do with certain people where you get to sit down with a friend or family member and record a conversation, record that moment, share it with them and preserve that moment. Because you have lots of great conversations probably with your family and friends. But, you know, how often can you reference that, right? Sometimes it's good when I'm out and about to just throw on a podcast with an old friend or someone from my family and just hear them. And you hear them talking, hear us having a conversation. And also those conversations usually are me asking the best questions I could think of for that situation with that person. Um, yeah, and it's usually always been a really great experience. So I really enjoy that about the podcast. 
Uh, all these different things have come out of it. So I re- initially started it just for the, the screenwriting and, you know, bringing exposure to myself as a filmmaker. But it's definitely involved into me actually just enjoying podcasting, right, as its own art form, trying to get better at it, trying to find different ways to do it. I've really been able to fall in love with just the art of podcasting. And I do find it to be an art, the art of a conversation or kind of, I guess, like like what DJ used to do when he used to host radio shows. Um, I always did enjoy radio, right? So it, I, it fit naturally. I've wanted to do a podcast for years, and like a lot of projects, like a lot of people, I just always thought about it, you know, conceptualized it, but always thought I wasn't ready, or I didn't have enough, or I needed to wait for something to happen, and once I dove in, it was the best experience, because since then, I've been just going as best I could, you know, at it, I'm getting to see some episodes have, you know, some flaws, and things I learn, and I improve, I get feedback from people like you, everybody out there listening, when you guys message me and let me know what you think or if I'm talking to you, I appreciate it a lot. It definitely helps, and I feel like it's getting better, um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see what it's like when I get you know a year into podcasting, five years into podcasting. I don't plan on stopping for any any for, you know reason. I don't see anything in the future. I mean, we'll stop doing it. But yeah, that's why I always tell people, you know, the advertisement that's typically plays during the podcast is me saying everyone should try out Anchor. And I love that because it's 100% how I really feel. I really think everyone should have a podcast. There's no reason. There's, there's so much space on the internet. There's no reason why I can't look up a friend or someone I'm interested in and then see a long-form media they create on their free time where I can go and, you know, hear them, go through their thoughts or see them have conversations or tell jokes or whatever it is they want to do in their podcast, whatever you guys think think is interesting i always think that's something that we should really get into i i've enjoyed it and i really just can't say enough about it um and the plug anchor for no reason definitely anchor is the way to go um if there's another platform out there that's better i wouldn't know or care because anchor just does every single thing that i need it to do for me all right i think that's everything i would say about that um next question when did you know you were interested in business yeah i mean okay so business like I'm I'm taking that as like um you know I guess entrepreneurship or it's the you know the I mean call, I guess you're gonna call it the art of business but it's business what it is right I mean for me I I think I noticed when I was younger that I would enjoy a really good commercial when if I saw a commercial I could tell when a commercial was being persuasive when they're trying to trick you into buying something or trying to convince you to do something sometimes commercials are boring. They don't do anything. Sometimes commercials are informative. They're trying to tell you about something or whatever. But when I see a clever commercial or a commercial, I think that's that worked that worked out well. Um, I think that's when I started to realize I I enjoyed a good commercial, not just every single commercial in the world. No one really likes all the commercials, but I really appreciated a good commercial. Um, and sometimes I would I would recognize like if it changed what I wanted, right? So I might be sitting home and suddenly I see a commercial and I might roll my eyes because I'm not interested in that thing. But now I see another commercial that like make me want to go out and get something to eat or something like that because it was a clever commercial. I always realized that and thought that was really cool. Um, I thought, you know, I almost felt like I should go buy that thing because whoever made that commercial did a really good job and I wanted to like say thank you in a way, right? I, that's it, it meant that much to me. And that's why I think I started to realize, I guess, that I enjoyed business. Um, outside of that... I had little things I did, little hustle things that I just did out of necessity, out of these, my, my nature when I was a child, trying to figure out ways to make money when I was very young, my teenage years and stuff like that. 
Um, I always tell people I'm not. I guess I'm not, I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it because it is what it is. But I used to like steal things. I would steal things. I would sell them. I would figure out different ways to take products and flip them and make money out of them. I used to it'll be a little hustler, I guess you would say. Um, and it was usually for just periods of time when things kind of got tight or something like that, or when I needed to do something spe- uh, specifically. That's how I got into it. And I always thought I was real good at it. I always understood what it was I was trying to do. I feel like I almost always sold whatever I was trying to sell. I didn't ever had that many situations where I decided to do something and then I couldn't sell the thing I was trying to sell. Usually I would figure it out. I might not have got the amount of money I wanted as fast as I wanted, but usually it got the situation done one way or the other. Um, so all those things were there in place. And finally I had a good friend who was a musician and I always liked expressing myself through poetry. So that led to us trying to make rap music together, you know, kind of a fun thing to do back in high school. And then I was like, well, you know, he had such a, you know, background in music. I thought it'd be beneficial if I took my interest in, in business. I, I did go to entrepreneurship in school, in high school. I took that as an elective. I aced it. I had a, I built a, like a service. My, the final project was I built a recording studio. And it's supposed to be like McDonald's for recording studios. Like the most easiest, simple, straightforward, affordable way for people to record music, kind of breaking down that barrier and turn it into like a franchisable business. Um, and I put together a whole business plan. And I thought it worked really well. Ultimately, when I got older, that wasn't like my main interest. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to just record music. Um, and ultimately, as artists, we didn't really like working with a lot of people. So that that the business plan seemed sound. You know, I did the whole budget and everything like that. And I would enjoy that. I would enjoy being in like a spreadsheet, just working out a budget for a company that's fictional, right? Just that it was still fun, even though it wasn't real. Obviously, as a child, I also played uh, like tycoon games, like on the computer. Um, and I would do that kind of stuff and getting text messages. So again, sorry for the poor audio this week. Um, but yeah. So those are things I think that started the whole thing and the necessity came when, you know, we decided we wanted to make a record label. And I said, okay, well, I'll handle the business side of it. And he was primarily the music side of it. Um, and it was a little bit of bleed. You know, he would do some business things and I, I'd never made beats really or nothing like that, but I would help like with lyrics or whatever I could musically. And that was, I guess, the first time I really had got into it. I had got comfortable with it. Um, and you know, I guess since then it's pretty much always been a thing I'm interested in. I, I, whenever I see something I like, I'm usually constantly trying to think of a way to make some money off of it or whatever. We, I learned to calm that down as I've gotten older. I've tried to enjoy some of my hobbies purely as hobbies. Like, like I know a lot of people, you know, got onto Twitch and started streaming their games when they play games. Um, and I tried that for a little bit, not knowing really how to make money off of it. I just figured I would just try streaming and see where they went. And I really didn't enjoy that at all. Um, I realized, like, the video game thing, that's a hobby. I like leaving a hobby. I could stream sometimes, maybe just purely for fun. But I, at least with my initial foray into it, didn't really enjoy that, um, trying to make that into business. So besides that and a few other hobbies that I've kept, you know, separate from the idea of business, um, I usually try to make everything I can into some kind of business or something I can make money off of. Um, and I've learned to be careful with that because you can ruin the passion for some things when you, you mix them two things up. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. If you're out there and you're listening, hopefully the value that gets provided from this is, you know, from my experience, you some things you do for money and some things you do for you. When I make films, for example, there's some films I'm sure I would make for money um, and I would try to do that as a job. 
And there's other film ideas I have that I know that I want to fund it with my own money, and I just want to make do it for me, do it in a space where I can do it and express myself and not really mix up the two. I think that's important. I think that's how you can have your cake and eat it too. Sometimes you do something and you understand that it's a service, it's a job, you're, you're working a job, you're providing a service for someone, and other times you do it just for yourself. Uh, I'm going to pause the podcast really quick, and then when I get to a safer destination, I will resume the podcast. Okay, and we are back. Um, now, the the next question I thought was interesting because it kind of feeds into the last question, right? The question was, what do I like to do outside of my pursuits, right? So I guess that's like, you know, um, business and art and stuff like that. So, I mean, for me, I guess the, the thing, if I honestly think about something I do outside of my pursuits, which... Or is nothing else. Um, it's really family. Family is my a big thing for me, right? I like my kids. I like my wife. You know, we spend a lot of time together. I put a lot of time and energy into my family. My 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 core right there, right? Um, you know, that ends up being something I really get involved with. I think as I gotten older, I realized that like a lot of times, you know, your regular life and things you do outside of your pursuits seems like. It's like a standard thing that you're not really doing, right? It's just the standard. Like you wake up, you didn't do anything, right? That's just natural. Like you're just living your life, right? So I realized, you know, my family and being around them and doing things with them, accomplishing family goals, going to certain places and stuff like that, that is something I really enjoy and something I believe I'm really good at. I think ultimately I'm really good at my family side of my life. And I try to compromise things to to mess with that. So I think that's something that's completely separate from my pursuits. Um, like I said, video games and stuff like that, I'll play a game like uh, Grand Theft Auto, for example, and they have a photo mode or a video mode where you can basically make movies using Grand Theft Auto. So even when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, there's times where I've tried to use it to make movies, do proof of concept videos, um, do little shorts. And it, so again, like it's it's the, my pursuits are bleeding into that, right? So even with video games, there's times where I can't help myself, right? But with my family, that's something to be completely separate. I guess one way I could say that they might bleed is I've been tempted at times, um, mainly because my daughter is amazing and she's cute, to uh, put her on YouTube and do like a YouTube kid thing. Except I don't really want to direct and edit a YouTube kid kind of show. Um, but she'd be great at it, right? So I do encourage her to make videos. We make videos mainly for home. And there's some that are online that I'll put online so I can get the link on YouTube and share like to a family member, family member or something like that. But I've never wanted to really push it and put it out there. I think she has one video. It's a toy review. They actually surprisingly did get some. They actually got a few hundred views, I think. Um, and we weren't even trying to promote it. I just put it up. I didn't think anyone would look at it. But somehow the YouTube algorithm started showing it to people. Um, yeah, so I don't really know much about the kid's space or how fast that works. Because, you know, you do, like, Mortal Kombat video you, that are Grand Theft Auto. I find, like, that's so flooded, perhaps, that um, it's very difficult to get attention. So she was reviewing one toy, and apparently that got some views. Um, yeah, so I, I was worried about that. I'm like, I'm not really comfortable with that. Um, I don't know. Maybe at some point we will. I'd rather, I, I think, get a little bit older where I feel like she can really decide if she wants to do that or not. Um, but she has a bunch of little videos, and she likes to record videos, and we edit videos, I edit videos for her, but we keep them all offline pretty much right now. So over time, we'll see if that becomes a thing or not. I don't know. And I guess at that point, it would be my pursuits even blending into family time, right? 
Um, but I'm always very guarded and very controlled about that. I don't want to, you know, lose one thing for the other or anything like that. I can I can balance them both. That's the goal at least. Um, so that's that's what I think goes there. Now, um, yeah, so we're about around the half an hour mark of the episode. We're going to go to the official commercial break. And then when we get back, I have a few more questions we're going to answer. And then I will see what we go, what we do from there, right? Thank you guys so much if you're listening so far to this week's podcast. And I hope you stay around for the last few questions. And we are back. Hopefully this is a more quiet space. To finish off the podcast, this week we are answering questions. I don't know why I'm doing that, as if like you just tuned in, who <laughs> was just tuned in to halfway through the podcast. But that's me and my my uh, radio show host mentality, right? Um, maybe <laughs> so stupid. Anyway, um, yeah. How many projects have you failed at? Oh, yeah. This was a good question. So, how many projects I have failed at? I, I like that. I like talking about things that don't work out um, because I think there's always a lesson in that. I think experience is something that's completely underrated. I think a lot of times, you know, with the podcast, for example, I wasted so much time trying to think of the perfect way to do a podcast. But over the last, I don't know, six, I think it was like 15 episodes, something like that. So over the last 15 weeks, I've developed so much experience. I've learned so much about the process from doing it. Um, so even if an episode isn't as great as it could be, I learned so much from that and hopefully take that into the next episode and make them better. Um, so yeah, talking about failures. How many projects I failed at? Um, number one, I, I have to always mention for everyone out there too, you know, to, to give that value. It Failure is is a tricky thing. I don't like talking like every single thing is a success because you learn something. Some things, you know, you have to just say mathematically that failed, right? And it's okay to admit that, accept the loss and move on, right? But also there, there has to also be a thing out there to not be uh, overly negative or too critical for anyone out there who deals with that. I've been through that in my life being too critical at times. You know, also you shouldn't look at everything as the word failure is really a loaded word, right? It comes with so much when you hear the word failure. Um, but how many things did not go, I guess, as far as I wanted them to go? Um, practically everything, right? I mean, I mean, if I really think about that, um, there's some things I can say were clear victories. Like I was in a play once. Um, that was a clear victory. That worked out exactly what I thought it was going to be. And um, it went as far as that that should go. So that was a, a victory. But a failure is like um, things that popped to mind. Like I had a playing card company that we had started, me and a friend, called Hidden Mirrors. And we went on Kickstarter. We got funded. We sold all the cards that we had to get funded. And then after that, we had some cards so that was a success. Um, nothing really bad necessarily happened or stopped it. But the original idea was for it to become a constant playing card company. After the experience, we decided we didn't want to do it anymore. And I guess I could chalk that up as a failure. Um, even though we just said, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, this isn't This isn't what I thought it was going to be. I think if we would have had a better experience the first time, um, if we had maybe reached out and found some more people to to work with and, and get help on the project, we could have did better. I think they would make made it not such a, such a bad experience at, by the end of it that we might have wanted to do it a second or third time. We, there was some plans to do a second deck of playing cards, and then I think we just lost all the steam for it. Um, yeah, so I think at this point in my life, or maybe even next year when I have more space, because playing cards, they, there's a lot of um, shipping and handling and bulk involved with that because they're, they're so big. If you order like 5,000 playing cards, 
Um, it's just not something to do. I was, I was doing it out of an apartment at the time, a small apartment. wasn't the, the best time in life to pursue that idea. But it came up. We drove. We dove in. We got a lot of experience. So, yeah, there's that from it, too. But you call that a failure. Um, I, I record over 100 songs. I have an album. I've been on a lot of other albums. Most of my earlier teenage and, I guess, early 20s, I spent around music. And I have made a lot of music that I love, so I never look at that situation as a complete failure. But at some point, of course, that was supposed to turn into a record label or something that I could, you know, sustain myself financially with. And that never, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. So I have to let's say that's a failure. Um, you know, we, with that, again, tons of experience. Most of my business experience, I guess, will revolve around that. Um, but we had a lot of great moments, too, a lot of cool videos, a lot of things that we had tried out. Um, and learn so much from the whole thing. So I still plan on doing music, again, just as a passion sort of thing. I don't think I will ever, at this point, make it into a sustainable career. It's not a sustainable career for most people because there's not a lot of money, I feel like, in the industry. It's more money based around the person and the brand. And I never look at myself as being like a brand in in myself, right? Like I don't – I have Samurai – um, but I don't know if I want to be blogging, tweeting, and constantly trying to be like the celebrity on the internet in front of everybody. Uh, I can do that kind of energy in short bursts. I can act in a film. I could do a um, a short video here or there. Um, but I don't. I couldn't imagine trying to keep up the steam of doing that twenty four seven. I respect people who can do that, but that's one of those things I realized I'm not good at. I couldn't have that kind of energy all the time. Um, so the music thing, I guess you can count that as a failure if that's what we're looking for. Um, the playing cards, that was another big project we had done. And I mean, those are the major ones. I had a lot of things I tried and still probably have the prospect of doing them. But I think those are the biggest things. Um, even like when I was younger, I, I at one point in my life considered writing novels to be a failure. When I was around 10, one of the first things I did was I, I started writing novels or trying to write novels, basically. I never completely finished one. At this point, I'm not interested in finishing a big novel like I was when I was younger, but I am working on books right now. So they're smaller books. It's a, a different kind of concept of how I'm looking at writing. I think there's something that more achievable, something I can finish and then do a series of them, which over time would maybe add up to something much longer than a book. But I want to do it more like episode, like episodes basically or um, I guess you would call it like chapters or whatever in a series. Um, yeah, so that what, what, what months seem as a failure – ended up being experienced and turned into something I am now actively doing again and may end up being a success down the road. So those are all things to consider. Just because you're in one situation at one time doesn't mean that's always going to be the situation over a long enough period of time. Okay, how do you deal with failure? Now, this is a good question. I actually had asked this question on my episode with Jimmy Boone from Drag Queen Entertainment. Um, and I, I think that was a good question. Um, so I think I'm always interested in that myself. How do people deal with failure? Uh, I find that it's it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And I'm always interested in the different things people do to deal with failure. I feel like that question is more so about mental health. And again, it's something that people don't talk about a lot. I guess they're talking about it more now. But I think it's, it's, it's at the very like beginning of people trying to really start to take time to 
discuss mental health, understand what it is, what to do, how to deal with that. Um, I've done, when I was growing up, for example, I remember like, like health and fitness wasn't a big thing in the 90s, um, not the way it is now. And then now everyone has like, everyone's like a dietitian now, like everyone knows or they at least think they know because it's so, it's so common, that conversation. But mental health, I think, is something that people are just now starting to take serious. So it's an interesting question because how you deal with failure talks about how that person's coping process is, right? What do they do? Um, so for me, I don't deal with failure, I don't think, very well initially. I, I've gotten better at it as I picked up techniques from other people over the years. Um, I think initially, I kind of always keep pushing. And again, all my things that I ever took as a failure, I took it as a stride and kept going forward in some other kind of way. So I don't, I don't stop a lot. I've learned recently how to stop. How to say, you know what? Okay, that happened. That's out of my control or that's done. I'm going to take a step back from that, um, which is something I did discuss on with my podcast where I touched on 50 Cent's book. Um, I mean, it was Hustle Harder, not <laughs> Hustle Harder. I don't have the book inside in front of me, basically. But the 50 Cent book, the audio book, he tells a great story about a business um, relationship that went sour and a bunch of money was lost. And he was explaining that the best way to handle that situation is to go on vacation, um, which is, doesn't seem like the obvious thing to do. And if you can't afford to go on a vacation, really he's saying is, you know, you need to step away. You need to get into a mental space where you're not thinking about anything, where you're not doing anything like that, um, and just be yourself a little while. And as you get further away from the situation, you're able to look back with more clarity and understand really, you know, what's, what's it all matter in the grand scheme of things. I've gotten a lot better doing that, and I, I credit that completely to 50. Um, the other thing that I like to do is I, I'm into the Wim Hof method. The Wim Hof method I have talked about in the podcast before. I had Peter Reyes from Ignite Sanada on this on the um, one of the I think my second or third podcast. If you look back, um, he runs a great Wim Hof workshop, and I'm actually going in August. With my birthday present from my mother was a class of the workshop because people around me in my life have seen how much. That has affected my life, so I thought that was awesome. It was a surprise. I only found out because she needed help setting up the payment on the website, um, but it was a surprise pretty much up until we're going, I think, in a few weeks. And and just knowing I was going was great for my mental health because that gave me a goal. Um, that's another thing I realized that I'd like to do. I like to have goals that are set, so something to work towards, something to accomplish, and, and I guess like you can break down a long-term goal into smaller goals, that sort of thing. So having something to look forward to in a few weeks has in, you know, overall improved my health, my, my um, every day, my awareness on what I'm doing. Because I know that I have a workshop coming up and I want to be in my best possible shape for that workshop. Um, you know, mentally, my, my breath work, I want it to be as good as possible um, to really get the most out of it, really enjoy the ice bath. And when I leave those workshops, I feel like a million bucks, like at least for a few days, I'm completely walking on air. Um, and then I'm hoping this time I can be able to transition it into a practice because I have my own ice tub, which I purchased a while ago, but I never really used it at home. So now I'm hoping that once I go to this last, next workshop, that I'm going to be able to come home and really get that into a practice. There's a section where like, you ask questions. That's the one I'm going to really drive home this time is trying to understand how anyone there, besides the instructors, because they do it all the time. So they have like these really nice setups and everything. I'm really interested on what people have done to create that habit for themselves. So I definitely recommend, if you guys ever tried, the ice baths, the Wim Hof workshops. If you're looking to Wim Hof, um, that's W-I-F. 
um, <laughs> Wim Hof, uh, H-O-F, right? When I, I remember when I first was looking him up, I didn't know how to spell that. Um, but yeah, but Wim Hof is a person to check out. And if you have a workshop in your area or if you're in this area, Peter Reyes has a workshop. You guys can DM me. I'll connect you with him. He is awesome. Um, yeah, those are things I like to do to deal with failures. Um, and basically, it's a lot of, you know, focusing on the mental, mental health aspect of it. When I was younger, I would just push forward. And I didn't really stop to think about what are the long-term effects, the things you're kind of carrying that you may not resolve or you're not, you haven't completely addressed. Um, yeah, so I think that was the, one of the best, best things I learned. I've had a lot of forced um, solitudes. And that happened, you know, by chance where I was in a situation where I couldn't move forward. So I had to have that space. Um, but typically during those periods, the difference was I still would contemplate it. I still sometimes would feel bad about it and think about it. What I realized is that's that's not really that helpful. It's good to look back and, you know, figure out what you can learn from it and get experiences. But I think you do need a clear break, even if it's just a few days, a clear break where it's something that you actively are trying to not think about. If a thought pops into your head, you say, I'm not dealing with that. I'm on vacation. I'm not I'm not doing it. I find that it's much, much easier, uh, like, like 50 Cent was talking about in his audiobook, to take that time off and then you can genuinely come back with a fresh perspective and see what went wrong in that situation and what can you learn from it. Do you have any other questions here? Uh, this last question of the week. What is something everyone in your industry should stop doing or start doing oh i could talk about that all day (laughs) um if i had to pick an industry that i say is my forte it's going to be directing that's what i feel like is my passion um i was when i was younger i wanted to direct music videos i got i did a few of those um i've always rapped but i thought directing was what made me special um directing is difficult without the kind of money and crew that you want to do with it especially if you have like an idea you want it to be a certain kind of way, and it's, it's you don't do it that way, it's difficult to put that out and show anybody, right? Like, I don't ever want to show people things that I'm not proud of. So, directing as finances have improved, over the next year, I plan on doing that more. Um, but So, if I'm talking about that industry, if I'm saying nothing else is focused on one, I have a lot of opinions on directing and what other directors and other filmmakers are doing nowadays. Um, one, which they stop doing... Um, this is all constructive, right? It's constructive criticism. Um, I think people should stop looking at, at at video as feature films or independent films. Um, I think that's not a concept anymore. It's only a concept if you're making $200 million pictures. Those are obviously feature films. Those are professional Hollywood films. Um, when we get down into the drama territory, even some of the action films, where it's 10 million, 5 million, you see people that can, much, much cheaper than that, make decent videos or films um, for a much lower price nowadays. A price basically no one even worth talking about. Pretty much nothing in some situations. They can make decent drama pieces. They can make decent, you know, action pieces based on like real physical, um, you know, uh, how do you say, like, uh, you know, like, we're not using so much CGI. He's like, real people doing real things. Martial art films, stuff like that. And they can turn a profit on those kind of films. And I think a lot of people are so fixated on getting into the, the spot. There's only about 120 major films made a year um, that, that you would consider, I guess, a major film. 
And they're like, well, if I can't do that, I can't do anything. However, there's a lot of independent people, not enough, but a lot of independent people out there who have created a career for themselves, it's sustainable, and then those guys sometimes move up, those guys and girls move up and get to do a major picture at some point in their career, but they've also done a bunch of other things. So I think people have to start saying, hey, there's a lot of internet out here for everybody, a lot of ways you can promote yourself and get attention on your stories. Um, you don't have to always try to play into this one league, right? It's kind of like if you're in like the NBA, everyone wants to be in the NBA. But I find in my lifetime, I hear more people talking about the G League now, which is basically their minor league. More people understand that players go overseas to play. That's not necessarily looked down on. Um, so those concepts are expanding there, even in that kind of industry. In film, with YouTube, TikTok, I mean, so, all you know are the platforms. There's so many ways to tell stories and so many ways to express yourself through video that are engaging to get right to the people without going through a theater system, and people can make money off it. That's something I really wish that people would stop doing, is just fix, being so obsessed with you know them thinking they have to make some kind of major film, and it needs to get an award, it needs to be certified, and it needs to, to get the approval of everyone. When there's a lot of people who are making other kinds of videos, and you look at them, they can be considered just as good as any other film. A lot of other films, at least. Um, I, I look at people who do... There's a trend of people who make these videos. like one-man show videos, right? Where it's a person. They have almost no props. Usually they're in the living room. And they're storytelling. They're acting the best they can, and they're using these silly props to storytell engaging five, six-minute videos that really capture your attention and they make lots of these. So if you took 60 minutes of that, 90 minutes of that and put it into some kind of format, you could definitely show that and their videos are so good, they'll keep your attention. Even in that kind of format, every five minutes or so, it's changing. So it's not much different than a movie scene, but they're breaking it up and giving it to you in a different way. So people will sit there and say, well, that's not tradition. It's not a traditional film, so it's invalid. It's not invalid. Some of these guys are millionaires. Some of these guys definitely are making a living, a decent living, and they're doing their passion. So I think that's something that people have to start considering is, you know, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you want to make a million dollars from one film? You want to be world famous? You want to get awards from some academy? Or are you doing this because inside you have the ability to picture a video, you picture a movie, you can see it in your head, and then you know how to put the things together from a technical side to direct. If that's who you are then it's not your fault that Hollywood exists. There's people making films all over the world with no prospect of ever being in Hollywood, and they're still telling their stories. So I think with the situation we're in, in our industry, there's a lot of room for growth. And of course, that's where I believe that I'm going to excel at. Um, so I wish they would stop doing that, stop looking at it as if you know you only can be in you know a, mo a movie theater or you have an independent film that has to be 90 minutes long. It has to have this dramatic, long story. There's so much other things you can do with video online. And people really look down on that. Um, it probably as much as they used to look down on independent films, right? Now independent films, because there were some rogues that came and broke through and made a bunch of movies. Now independent films are a good thing to do. Because people think they're going to make an independent film and make it right into Hollywood. I suspect that YouTube and TikTok and all those formats are going to be the same thing in 15, 20 years. I think people are going to respect those formats a lot more. But then it's going to be too late, right? Because then at that point, there'll either be something else coming along that's innovating or that market is going to be so, so monetized and saturated. It's going to be just as difficult of getting your, your other stuff out there, right? So I think that's what people have to stop doing and also start doing. Start considering alter, uh, alternative 
ways to get your story in front of people and to get yourself attention. Too much of people just making an independent film, throwing it on like Amazon streaming service where no one's going to see it, right? It's buried beneath every single film that's ever existed practically that you can buy and then your film is down there. Meanwhile, you can take your film in pieces or break it down into smaller chunks and put it on YouTube, aim it at a certain demographic and get it right into the eyes of people and maybe make some money off of it. Maybe you don't make a lot of money off it initially, but you definitely get some attention and build yourself up that way, get known for what you're doing in that regard. I think that's something I would like people to start doing is trying to figure out how can you take your stories and put them out there differently. It bothers me that there's not many great TV show like series, right? Or great movies or whatever you call it on YouTube. I think YouTube has struggled as a platform to get some kind of engaging show that makes you want to keep coming back to YouTube to see that show. And I think it's because no one's really approaching the format trying to make something that's an engaging show for that. They're either doing like one off joke videos that don't really have any kind of connection to each other. Um, or they are just basically making you know some longer video and throwing it on YouTube. And when people sit down and watch YouTube, typically you don't want to see a 60-minute video that often. That doesn't really work for that format. So if you look back and say, okay, five, ten-minute films, these are – some people say microfilms. Microfilms are kind of like that, but they're super artsy and they're made for no one. They're made like just to like win a, at, a, at a film festival. Again, I don't know why these people are going through this process – and making films that aren't viral, that don't have any appeal to show something. They're very, very artsy, um, trying to basically tell some kind of abstract story in 10 minutes. It's not the same thing that you would put on a YouTube series or put on YouTube and think it's going to go viral. But people put so much time into that. So that's my, my opinions on those things. If people make, that makes them happy, people can do whatever they want to do. But it, to answer the question of what I think people should stop doing and start doing, I think people have to reconceptualize the way they view film. Um, film can be anything. It's There's no reason it has to be 90 minutes long. I mean, I had a friend of mine who explained to me the reason films are typically 90 minutes long is because there's only but so many hours in a day and a movie theater wants to show a movie as often as possible to sell you tickets. That's why it's 90 minutes long. Of course, a five-hour movie might be difficult to watch because it's such a long time. But then, like, Scorsese proved with The Irishman. I saw that in one sitting. I know some people paused it and just came back and watched it in two sittings. But The Irishman was a great film. I was completely engaged the entire time. There was no waste of time. I've seen films that are 90 minutes long. The first 10 minutes felt like 10 hours because people just drag things out. But you don't get that in The Irishman. They, they used every single minute of that movie. Um, so when I watched that, I'm like, yeah, that, that movie needed to be that long because they told a whole life story. Um, and it was it was great. So that's, again, Scorsese is reconceptualizing the way a film should be made, right? If you're on a streaming service... Why does it have to stop at 90 minutes? Why can't we go as long as we want to tell the story he wants to tell? And that was obviously a great success for him. Now, I'm not going to tell everyone to go out and make four or five hour long movies. But if it's as good as The Irishman, then I guess it would work, right? Maybe it's better. Um, but, you know, you have to go out there and try to do that. Last thing I'll mention is on, also on Netflix. A lot of innovations happening there. They have the Fear Street series, which is billed as a movie. But they're lying. That's a cheat. That's not a movie. That is a miniseries. It is a six-episode miniseries. And they made it look like it was basically three different movies, about two hours and a half each. Um, and if you're binge-watching a TV show, what's the difference, right? It's actually giving you a clear place to stop it. So, again, they're rethinking the way you present films, even on Netflix, right? And I think the Fear Street series was um, very well-received. I enjoyed it. And I can see when I'm watching it, when you walk in thinking it's a movie, 
it has a little bit of that TV show vibe, that TV show production value. I'm saying, mm, this doesn't seem like a great movie. But then if I look at it as a TV show, I say, well, this is a very high-quality TV show. And that's a weird thing, right? That's something that even we all have to get over, right? Even I look at that and say, okay, I see what they did here. They did something new. And I had to step back and say, oh, this is like a new way to look at how you can do a show on a streaming platform, right? And kudos to them, right? That's why I'm giving those guys shout-outs, Scorsese and Fear Street, two of the most recent things I thought were very innovating that I saw on a streaming platform. And that ties into what I think people should be doing. I would like to see more of that. I would like to turn on my platforms and find an interesting way to watch a movie. Snyderverse, right? The Snyder, the Zack Snyder cut of um, Justice League. I was not crazy about the first Justice League. I did thoroughly enjoy the Snyder cut of Justice League. And that was like about, I think, four hours long. I watched it, I think, in two sittings. I might have watched it in one sitting, actually. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a big win for HBO Max. Um, I don't see why they didn't push for more of that kind of content. If there's not out there, they should be ordering it up, hopefully, and getting more you know movies that you can't put in theaters on their platform. Um, I think that's a good idea because it makes you say, this is why I have to have a streaming service. Typically, streaming services up to this point have just been the movies that you saw in theaters and used to rent on video. But now they, I think some people are saying, wait, you can do something different on streaming services. It's a different kind of format, right? You can put it on your phone. You can have it basically free access to it as long as you want. Why is it to stop at just one place? So those are a few of my ideas. I'm going to wrap up the podcast there because I'm getting an important phone call. Thank you guys for, for basically tuning in this week if you did. I hope the audio quality was pretty good. And you guys take care. <laughs>